0: Please turn in your copy of God's Word to Romans chapter 11. Romans chapter 11. And this morning we're going to be considering one of the most fundamental doctrines of the Christian faith. During the time of the Reformation in the 1500s, there were five Latin phrases that were the pillar of Reformed and Reformation doctrine. I'm sure that some of you here are familiar with these doctrines that are often called the five solas, sola being the Latin word for alone. Sola gratia, we are saved by grace alone. Sola fide, we are saved through faith alone. Salus Christus, salvation comes to us through Christ alone. It is found in Christ alone. In sola scriptura, our ultimate authority is scripture alone. And then finally, soli Deo Gloria, that all things are to be for the glory of God alone. And it's this fifth and final. Doctrine, which is our focus today, and it is the culmination of the previous four. It's the result of every doctrine that we confess, it's the purpose of our lives. Everything must bring glory to God alone. So, let us now consider this by looking at Romans chapter 11, beginning in verse 33. This is God's inspired word, so please give it your full attention. Oh, the depth of the riches both of the wisdom and knowledge of God! How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out! For who hath known the mind of the Lord, or who hath been his counselor? Or who hath first given to him, and it shall be recompensed unto him again. For of him, and through him, and to him, are all things, to whom be glory forever. Amen. Well, thus far the reading of God's holy word. Let us ask his blessing upon it. Heavenly Father, God, we come to you once again, and we do ask that you would add a blessing to the reading of your word. Lord, open our ears to hear rightly this word and add a blessing to the hearing of it as well. But not only that, Lord, open our hearts to rightly receive this word. So be with us now as we sit at the feet of King Jesus and hear what he has prepared for us on this day. So, Lord, we ask that now as we approach the proclamation and preaching of this word, that your blessing would be upon it as well. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, over this past summer, millions of people around the world tuned in To watch the Summer Olympics. I'm not sure if any of you did, but my family watched a few events. Uh, The Summer Olympics is an event that many people look forward to watching every four years, hoping to see their home country bring home the gold in various events. I'm not very passionate about the Olympics, especially the summer games. I think the winter games are far superior. But one thing during these last summer games really caught my eye, and it wasn't America bringing home gold medals, and it wasn't some big Cinderella story of an underdog finding a way to win the top prize against all odds. What caught my attention was a South African swimmer named Schoonmacher who set a record in her event when she won first place. But what's interesting, though, isn't the record that she set or the fact that she won gold, but instead what it was that she was wearing. She wore a white swim cap with the words, Soli Deo Gloria written on the side of it. Glory to God alone. Now this young lady was on the grandest stage of them all in terms of sporting events. She was on worldwide television before millions of viewers and she was boldly proclaiming the glory of God. Now this wasn't something new to us. We've seen this before in other events. We've all seen Other athletes and musicians and actors stand up when accepting an award and say, the first thing I want to do is to thank God. Well, sometimes this is done only because it's somewhat expected, but there are other times where they are doing it out of genuine thanks for what the Lord has done in their lives. Schoonmacher is a good example of what this doctrine of soli deo gloria, glory to God alone, means for us. She didn't know when she put on that cap that she would be winning gold or setting a record. She could have gone out there and ended in last place. She could have gone out there and gotten injured in the middle of the event and not even been able to finish at all. But no matter what the outcome was going to be, the truth of the words on that cap would remain the same. Glory to God alone. Well, today we're going to look at why we are to bring glory to God alone in two separate ways. First, we are to bring glory to God alone, because God is the beginning of all things. And then next, we are to bring glory to God alone, because God is the end of all things. God is the beginning of all things, and He is the end of all things. So let us first consider that God is the beginning of all things. Paul begins this portion of doxology, this exclamation of praise, In an interesting way. Oh. That single word is so full of expression. In and of itself. Now previously in chapter 11. Paul had uh, gone through an explanation. Of how the Lord has not abandoned his covenant people. And that there would be a remnant to come out of Israel. And trust in Christ. And that there would be this great restoration of the Jews who put their faith in Christ Jesus. And when thinking about these things. When thinking about the greatness of the salvation that is found in the Lord. The first thing that Paul can do is marvel. Oh, that's all he can say. I remember when I was flying in a helicopter across Iraq and I could see the the waters of the Euphrates River and the lush green grass right along the banks. And where I was in Iraq, all I had seen for several months was just sand. So seeing grass was amazing. And I know that when I saw this, something similar came to my lips. I marveled. At it. Like a newborn, like when a newborn baby is first presented to her parents and they both exclaim with joy, Oh, you parents have experienced that. The joy of holding your child for the first time. Well, that's what Paul has experienced when he looks at the salvation that is in Christ. Here Paul is standing on this great mountain of theology, which is the salvation of the Lord. And he's overwhelmed by the sheer awesomeness of what he sees. And so he can't help but exclaim, oh. And I use that image of a mountain because Paul stands on this great truth of salvation as though he's looking out over a vast landscape within the valley of the mountain that he is on. And he gazes out in amazement at the beauty and the awesomeness of everything that he can see. And so he exclaims, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. Oh, the depth, the fullness, the complexity, the immenseness, the magnitude, the size. Like a climber at the top of Mount Everest gazing out around looking at everything that he had just gone through and being amazed at the heights which he has been through and climbed up to. And he looks out and he's standing there in wonder, even though he can't come close to seeing it all. So too is it as Paul is looking out from this height of salvation. And seeing the depths of who God is and what he's done. Even though he could never even begin to see the fullness of it. But like most analogies, this one is imperfect. There is an end to the depth of what can be observed from the top of Mount Everest. But when Paul looks out at the depths of of God, he knows That there is no end. That he could never dive to the depths of the riches of God. That it is insurmountable. That it is unobtainable. That it is incomprehensible. And so Paul just stands in amazement at the awesomeness of God. And then Paul begins to dive into those depths even though he knows he will never reach the end of it, he begins to dive into the depths in this proclamation of praise. And so he speaks of the riches of God, that God is the source of all things. He is the possessor of all things. He is the beginning of all things. It is from Him that we receive everything that we have. We get our life from Him, our breath from Him, our very existence from Him. And so Paul asks in verse 35, Who hath first given to Him and it shall be recompensed unto Him again? Who has given to God so that God may repay Him? And the answer to this question is no one. God is in debt to no one because He possesses All riches. But the riches of God are not simply material things, but they are spiritual things. All spiritual blessings in the heavenly places are God's and are given to us in Christ Jesus. But in fact, it is Christ Jesus Himself who is the riches of God. He is the greatest treasure of all. Well, then Paul goes on and he speaks of the wisdom of God. Nothing happens outside of the wisdom of God. He's sovereign over everything. He's the one who guides and directs and preserves and protects all things. And even the wisdom that we have as men is given to us as a gift of the Lord. And so Paul asks in verse 34, Who hath been his counselor? Who has imparted wisdom unto God? And the answer is obvious. Because God is wisdom himself. Because he possesses all wisdom and is sovereign over everything. No one can be his counselor. No one can impart wisdom to him because he is already the wise one. And we have the wise one dwelling in us. We have the spirit of God. And it is he who makes the simple wise. Then Paul goes on and speaks of the knowledge of God. God is omniscient, meaning that he knows Everything. There's not one single thing that, could, that we as humans could ever discover that is already not known by God. Because He's the one who created all things. There's nothing in all of creation that is not intimately known by the Creator. God knows the laws of nature because they are His laws. God knows the future because He's the one who wrote it. God knows the very hairs on your head and has each one numbered because he is the one who put them there. And so Paul asks in verse 34, who hath known the mind of the Lord? And like the other two questions, this answer is no different. No one has known the mind of the Lord. We could never even begin to comprehend the knowledge of God. He knows all things intimately. And so Paul summarizes these things in a second exclamation of praise. How unsearchable are his judgments in his ways past finding out. He understands that the depth of God can never be explored completely. He understands that there are things that have been revealed to us, but that the secret things belong to the Lord. We have the knowledge of God given to us in His written word. We have those things revealed to us through His word. We have everything that we need to know for faith and life given to us in the gift of the Scriptures. And so Paul looks at all of these things. At the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, and he stands amazed at God's awesomeness. Have you taken a step back and simply marveled at the awesomeness of God? Have you looked back on your life and seen how the Lord has blessed you with riches both physical and spiritual? And has it brought you to exclaim, oh, the depth of the riches of God? Have you looked to the one who you are united to, to Christ Jesus himself and given praise to God uh, for pro? for possessing the greatest of all riches, for having been blessed with every spiritual blessing. Do you take the time to see how the sovereign hand of God has been at work in all things in your life? How that job that you lost or that move that you made or that pain that you experienced Is being used for your good? Do you see the wisdom of God given to you through the spirit working within you to will and to work his good pleasure? Do you treasure the fact that the Lord of all creation knows all things and not a hair falls from your head without his knowing? Do you seek after the knowledge of God as revealed in the scriptures, understanding that it contains everything that you need for life and godliness? If you take a step back and you look at all of these things, you too will see the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. And it should stir in your heart's a recognition for the awesomeness of God and it should bring an exclamation of praise to your lips. And none of the credit goes to you. It's all of God. It's the riches of God. It's the wisdom of God. It's the knowledge of God. God is the beginning of Of all things. And when you see this. The right response is to proclaim. Glory. To God. Alone. So God is the beginning of all things. But now let us consider that God is the end. Of all things. Look with me at verse 36. For of him. And through him and to him are all things. To whom be glory forever. Amen. Now it's interesting the words that Paul uses here in this verse. He strings along a series of words. And each of them has a different emphasis. He begins by saying of him. And this signifies that God is the source of all things. This is what drove that doxology in the previous verses. And we know that God is the beginning, the source, because the word makes it plain to us. Just look at the account of creation in Genesis, and you'll see this, that God is the beginning of all things. God spoke. And things came into being. By the power of his word, all things were created. The sun, the moon, the earth, the land, the waters, the plants, the animals, and even us, man. All things, things in heaven and things on earth come from God. Oh, the depth of the riches. Of God, But Paul goes on to say that it's not simply of Him, but through Him are all things. God is the sustainer of all things. God's not like this watchmaker who winds up a watch and then just lets it go. No, God is active in all things. He actively is sustaining all things. The breath that you just took is because God caused it to happen according to his will the job that you have is because god placed you there according to his will the future plays out just as the lord has written it to all according to his will Nothing is outside of His control. Nothing is outside of His knowledge. Nothing happens outside of His sovereign secret will. Oh, the depth of the wisdom and knowledge of God. But it's not just of God, and it's not just through God, but it is to Him, to God. Paul says, to Him are all things. God is the end of all things. Everything that was created has a purpose. And that purpose is to bring glory to God. All of creation proclaims the glory of God. The heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament showeth his handiwork. The trees proclaim the glory of God. The mountains declare the glory of God. The birds sing of the glory of God. This is the purpose of all things. This is why all things are created. God is the end of all things. One of the most interesting passages which describes this very thing is when Christ is entering into Jerusalem and the crowds of people are shouting His praise, proclaiming, Hosanna in the highest. And the disciples tell Jesus, in the crowd, Tell them to stop shouting. And he looks at them and he tells them that if these people were to be quiet, then even the rocks would cry out. God's glory is the end of all things. All of creation proclaims the glory of the Lord, and this includes us as well. God is our end. What is the chief end of man? Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. In the beginning, God. In the end, God. Everything you do is to bring glory to Him. Everything, even those things that may seem incredibly mundane to us, those things that don't really seem important are all to be done to the glory of God. 1 Corinthians ten thirty one tells us whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatever ye do, do all to the glory of God. Eating and drinking are some of the most mundane things that we do. We don't even think about it sometimes. You know, it's natural for us to walk by a bowl of chips and just grab some or to find a glass of water and take a sip. It's something that we just do. We don't think about it. But Paul uses these two things, these two incredibly mundane things to show us the overarching scope encompassing everything that we do. If, if we're to do even the smallest of things to the glory of God, how much more are we to do even the big things For his glory. Do all to the glory of God. And so Paul ends this great doxology. With a proclamation. To whom be glory forever. Amen. And it's this glory. That is to God. This glory has to be. To God. It's not something that we generate in and of ourselves and then bring to God, giving Him something that we, uh, that He does not already have. No, it's something that He gives to us and then we give to Him. God is glorious in and of Himself. Glory is from God and through God and to God. We have no glory in ourselves to give to Him. Creation has no glory in itself to give to Him. We simply reflect God's glory through our being, through our word, through our actions. I want you to think about the moon. I know you kids have seen the moon in the sky And it's shining brightly. Does the moon have light on its own? No. It doesn't. The moon has no light of its own, and yet we go outside at night, and we can see it shining. How is that? Well, it's because the moon reflects the light of the sun. I want you to think of light as glory. Glory. The moon doesn't have glory on its own. It simply reflects the glory of the source, of the sun. Well, that's how it is with us. That's how it is with all of creation. We simply reflect the glory of God. We don't have glory on our own. We reflect it. When we do things that bring God the glory, we're simply reflecting back upon Him His own glory. This is why nothing else can rightly receive glory. This is why nothing else can rightly receive praise. Because nothing else is the source of glory. We can only reflect what is the sources. And so it is only the source that can receive the reflection. To bring glory to another whether it be those things around us or other people or ourselves, is to rob God the glory that is due his name. But even worse than that is to set up something else in the place of God. It's blasphemy. It's idolatry. It's, it's creating our own gods and saying it deserves glory more than the creator of all things this is why this doctrine is so important the end of all things is God we must bring glory to God the end of all things is to glorify him we can't give it to another we must give glory to God alone This doctrine isn't simply a theory. It's not simply something that we talk about or something that we simply confess. This doctrine is something that we live. It ought to be a great comfort to us that as we go through this life, that the Lord of all creation is in control and it is to him that all the glory belongs. Think of the worst thing that ever happened in the history of this world. The worst thing that could ever happen in this life. I want you to think about the crucifixion of Christ Jesus. Jesus was sinless. He was perfect. He didn't deserve to die. It was the greatest act of treason ever to be committed in this world and if god can turn even the worst thing that could ever happen into the greatest thing that could ever happen can he not do the same in your life if he can look upon the murder of his son and work that for the good of all humanity and for his own glory, can he not do the same for the troubles in your life? How do we go through the despair of losing a job and having no prospects for a new one? Because we know that God is glorified. How do we make it through the heartbreak of losing a dear loved one? Because we know that even in the loss of a saint, God is glorified. How do we know what decision to make concerning our futures? Because we know that whether we eat or drink or whatever we do, that God will be glorified. And this is something that I'm having to live in a very new way in my life right now. The Lord is teaching me this. I like to be in control. We all do. But in this moment of my life, I have absolutely no control. Now, in your life, you have no control either because you're not sovereign over it. But even that illusion of control has been stripped away from me. I don't know where I'm going to live in six months. I don't know if I'm going to have a job in six months. Everything about my life right now is out of my hands. And it's terrifying. But the Lord is showing me in a very real way. Josh, you have to rely upon me. And you have to recognize that no matter what. Whether I end up in Pittsburgh or Alabama or Texas or Colorado or wherever. No matter where I end up. It's for the Lord's glory. He's working all of these things together for my good for the good of the church and for His glory. Understanding that God is the beginning of all things and that He is the end of all things is a great comfort to us. Your thoughts, your actions, your words, your affects must all be conformed into His image and directed for His glory. Nothing else can lay claim to this glory. We can Boast in nothing of ourselves because we've done nothing to receive glory. All glory is to God alone. So let us do as Paul did here in Romans 11 and marvel at the depth of God. Salvation has been given to you by grace alone, you've done nothing to earn your salvation. If God had done 99% and you did one, then you would have something to boast about. 1% of that glory would be yours. But that's not the case. Salvation is a gift of God that is given by His grace alone. So glory is to be given to God alone. You've been justified by faith alone. You are declared righteous by faith and are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Your best deeds apart from Christ are but filthy rags, worthless in the sight of God. So you deserve no praise or acknowledgement in your justification because you did absolutely nothing to obtain it. Faith is a gift that has been given to you by God, and it is by that faith alone that you are justified. Glory to God alone. Redemption is found in Christ alone. No works of the law could purchase redemption. The blood of bulls and goats could never wash away sins, and neither is there salvation in any other, for there is No other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. You've been washed clean by the blood of the Lamb. Your debt of sin has been nailed to the cross. It is in Christ alone that you are redeemed. Glory to God alone. In Scripture, alone is the rule of faith and life. The Word is a lamp unto your feet and a light to your path. No other writing comes from the very lips of God save the Scriptures. Nothing else makes you complete, thoroughly furnished unto every good work. You have everything you need for life and godliness found in Scripture alone. Glory to God alone. Brothers and sisters, let us never lose sight of the beginning and the end of all things. Whether you go to work or school. Whether you eat or drink. Whether you live or die. Whether there be plenty or want. Whether there be harvest or famine. Whether you win gold or or whether you fail in all of your endeavors. Do all to the glory of God. Be a people who proclaims with a loud voice, glory to God alone. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we do give you the glory for all things. For you are the wondrous creator and sustainer of all things. You have sent your son as the redeemer of all things. And you have applied this redemption to us by the working of your spirit. And it is by the power of your spirit that you are renewing all things in heaven and on earth. And it is through the power of Your Spirit that the gospel is going, go, is going forth unto all the nations and that we will see the souls of men won for Christ Jesus and we will see the kingdoms of the earth bow their knee to King Jesus and we will see this land covenanted for King Jesus. And it won't be because of anything that we've done but all because of you. In the working of your Son, in the power of your Spirit, glory to God alone. So we thank you and we praise you. We magnify and we glorify your name. Through the mediation of your Son, King Jesus. Amen.